Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Right. Welcome everyone to the PJ's Cast. I am your host Pierce, joined alongside of Jimmy and Spencer. What's going on, boys? Hey, not much. Uh, happy to have our host on here today, or guest, I should say. Yeah, and as you can see, we have a very special guest on, Ben Pope from the uh, Chicago Sun-Times. What's going on, Ben? Great. Happy to be here. Awesome. All right, so um, before we get into any like hockey talk, we kind of just wanted to pick your brain on what you've been doing for the past few months during uh, the whole COVID situation. So, um when we had Charlie on and we had Chris Peters on, we asked them like what new activities you've been doing doing during quarantine, and uh, we're just wondering if you read any like books or listened to any podcasts, watch any uh, TV shows or any of that. Honestly, not a lot. Uh, I went home to uh, North Carolina for two months uh, after the season stopped in March to just spend some time with family, and I went hiking a lot there. That's something I enjoy doing. Uh, and then I came back to Chicago, and uh, they had me covering news. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I saw uh, that because I, I saw your uh, video. That It had, like, so many, like, uh, likes and retweets of, yeah, like, the looting in Chicago. I had, I had to mute the notifications for that one. It was a little, <laughs> a little too viral for my phone. But, uh, yeah, so I've been doing news coverage for about two and a half months. Um, so that was pretty keeping me pretty busy. It was definitely a different experience in covering hockey uh, with all the protests going on in Chicago. Oh, and yeah. then uh, for the start of training camp, back to hockey. And in terms of free time, playing some video games and um, going for oh, walks, go. uh, seeing friends some. So nothing too interesting. See, I got to ask now what video games. I play a lot of chill. Uh, yeah, chill. I nice. Xbox, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, so I've been playing that. Uh, another play? question. Oh. Are you Xbox or PlayStation? I'm an Xbox. See, that's what I was going to ask about, because yeah. that's like the big thing. I'm, like, I'm not a huge video game guy, but my friends are. And so uh, that's like the thing that everybody has. Everyone's telling me to get PlayStation to get that. So, so you're yeah, a man no, of culture. I don't think I'm going to. I don't think it's worth the money to buy it just for that. But I do wish no. I had it now. No, I, I won't let my friends see this one, but no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the thing with, like, I just wish that, like, I, d I don't like the console wars. I just wish, like, crossplay <laughs> could be a thing and we could just all play together. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so that, now that we kind of asked that, um, what? how did you get your start in writing? And uh, how did you become, like, how long have you been a hockey fan for? And how did you get your start in uh, writing? 
Well, I well, I grew up in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, as I mentioned, and uh, the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup in 2006, sort of right I know. When I was coming of age mm-hmm. as a sports fan. So that's I was cheering for the Oilers that year. I was hard. Yeah, I would imagine. Lost. <laughs> um, so that was what kind of got me into hockey originally. Uh, Raleigh is a very big college sports town with UNC and Duke there, but uh, the Hurricanes are our only pro team. All the other pro teams are in Charlotte, which are in which is three hours away. So. Um, Hockey is actually like kind of the sport. If you're going to be a pro sports fan, that uh, you have there. So my family were season ticket holders growing up, and um, so that's how I got into hockey. I started. I worked for Bleacher Report um, in high school under a pen name, actually. That uh, so they didn't know I was in high school, and that's kind of how I got into uh, sports journalism. And then um, wait, what year would that be? Uh, I started there in '08. Oh, uh, that's way before and, then. Uh, yeah, okay. And then that just sort of led to me coming to Northwestern for journalism, and that got me to Chicago, and that's why I ended up at the Sun Times. So that's kind of the general path I take. Did you watch the? Were you a fan of the Hurricanes when they made that uh, 2002 run when they faced the Red Wings in the final? I was not yet at that point. I was a little uh, too young to uh, be interested, but I've watched a lot of those games back uh, more recently. Uh, yeah, would have been a fun right time. There you one. go. That Carolina team it was so weird. Like they had, uh, I think Arthur Zerbe was their goalie, and he was the he was the MVP. And I think they had Ron Francis, and it's just yeah. weird how kind of that uh, they were kind of an underdog team, and they made it to the final, and they they even won the first game against Detroit, which had that ridiculous team of uh, Hashik Lidstrom, and I think that's that was his first year, I think, and we had Brett Hall. Yeah, Steve Eiserman, like the, the list just goes on. Brandon and Shanahan was still Yeah, playing. Luke, Luke Robitaille, too. Like, it's ending just, in his career. It's insane. It's just r- ridiculous how good that team was. So. Yeah. yeah. Those and Red then, Wings teams were crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, 2006, they, they were actually down 2 nothing against the Montreal Canadiens. I think Martin Gerber was their starting goalie, and then they switched to Cam Ward, and then yeah. they just never looked back Red from there. Yeah, the Hurricanes have a strange playoff history. They've made it only four times in the last 20 years, but they've gone to at least a conference finals all four times. So that's right. That's crazy. When they do make it, it's always oh, exciting. Yeah. They, make it count, they make it count, certainly. Only four yeah. times. 02, 06, 09, and last year. That's I right. Cause this they... year is the fifth. But Yeah, that's insane. That's crazy. Wow. I, remember I just did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, because 2009 they made it to the the conference finals, but then they got swept by uh, the Penguins, who eventually won it. And then I think, remember that uh, crazy Malkin goal where he like went behind the net, and then he like that's fa- the first like, thing I think was facing Ward. Yeah, that's yeah. That and then funny enough, Cam Ward came to the Chicago Blackhawks, so it's kind of interesting how that links together. Yeah, there are actually but, a lot of connections between the two teams. Uh, the Blackhawks yeah. seem to make a lot of trades with them. Um, the Dahan trade even was a few months after I started on this job, and I had been watching Dahan for the previous season, so that was interesting to report on and talk to him about later. Yeah. So, how, like, when did you find out that you got the job for the Chicago Sun Times? Uh, so, I my last uh, semester at Northwestern, I had done a residency with the Sun Times that the school set up. Uh, I was covering high school basketball. Um, but uh, Chris DeLuca, who's our sports editor, I uh, was in touch with him. And at various points, I talked to him about how much I liked hockey and that I would go back and watch games sort of um, recorded after covering the high school basketball games. 
And then it just so happened that right around the time when my residency ended, um, uh, Adam Johns left for the athletic from the Bears beat. Uh, and they had Jason Leisure at the time covering the Blackhawks, but most of his career had been covering the NFL in Miami. So they moved him over to the Bears beat and then hired me to uh, fill in for the Blackhawks because um, he knew that uh, I liked hockey and apparently had done a good job with the high school stuff. So I uh, just got really lucky with the timing, uh, worked out really well. Um, it's a tough industry to break into, so I'm very fortunate that uh, I was able to get a, a job this good right out of college. And uh, it's been a year and a half now, and I've loved every minute. So hopefully, I can that's, keep going for a while. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm. Um, me and my other friends, like, uh, we started uh, like just a publication on Medium, and we've just been writing Blackhawk stuff. And I'm kind of like, I just graduated 2019. I took the year off and I'm still kind of figuring out what I want to do. Like, do I want to do writing or do kind of radio? So, cause I've been doing the podcasting and obviously the writing and I've always considered writing as one of my strong suits. So it's cool to see that you've been uh, passionate about something writing and that you've been able to uh, make a career out of it, which is awesome. So I just want to ask you some questions. Like what are some, uh, like, what were some uh, interesting stories that happened within the Chicago Blackhawks uh, dressing room this year? And what were some of your play- favorite players to interview? Hmm, interesting stories. It's been so long since the season happened. That's so true. Long since I was in the <laughs> locker room. Um, I think I'll, I'll just answer the second part of the question. Um, honestly, Kane and Taves are so much more media-friendly than I expected. They're both the kind of guys that you can ask them anything, mm-hmm. and they will give thought to it and give an insightful answer about it. Um, even if it's sort of off the wall, something they wouldn't have thought about. I did a, at the very start of training camp, I did a story on Zach Smith and how he um, is involved with this rock band and his music interest. And uh, he mentioned um, Taves is also a rock fan. So I went to talk to Taves about it. And uh, we had an interesting conversation about sort of alt rock music now. And he was asking me what my favorite bands were and having just started. That was <laughs> for me, so, um, so that was cool. And then uh, Dylan Strom and I developed a pretty good connection. He and I are only two days apart in age. I discovered later. Oh, really? So, um, he like we, he's always a good interview. He, he really follows hockey closely, watches games every night uh, when they're not playing. So, uh, he's fun to just talk about other hockey stuff, other news around the league, just casually. Um, he, was, oh, yeah. he missed uh, the game at Edmonton, actually. Uh, he was a scratch for that, I think. Uh, and that was the night that uh, Bo Meester um, had the collapse oh, in St. I Louis. That. And that was up getting food in the press box, and he was getting food, too, when it happened. So we kind of watched that together, and we're talking about it, and... So that was interesting. So he's a player that I enjoy talking to always. Um, but really, almost everyone in the, the team is pretty good interview. Drake Kajula is a really interesting guy. I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, Zach Smith, as I mentioned, really friendly. Uh, obviously not the most uh, notable player on the team, but uh, really one of the easiest to get along with. Uh, pretty much everyone has, is good to talk to, so it's a really good locker room from an interviewing perspective. Yeah. The thing I've heard from Patrick Kane is that he's so dialed in around the league as well that you could ask him anything about any stat or game and he'll most likely know it. So it's just awesome that like Patrick Kane, as good as he is on the ice, he's also informed around the NHL as well. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he's, he watches NBCSN pretty constantly, I think. <laughs> I 
There was one game, I don't remember where it was, but uh, the, I think it was the Kings Lightning game the previous night, and I don't even remember which team, but they had had some absurd power play where they had like 10 shots on goal. Uh, and I asked him about it because uh, we were talking about the Blackhawks power play, and he immediately could, he apparently clearly watched the game and could immediately <laughs> talk at length about this <laughs> random power play in a completely unrelated game. So, yeah, that's Patrick Kane for you. I have a question about him. Is he a big like? Do you know? Is he kind of an, a guy who dabbles with underlying statistics and whatnot? Is he kind of does he pay attention to that kind of stuff? I am not entirely sure. A lot of the players are kind of reluctant to talk about that. Uh, just some sort of hockey culture of that. Uh, yeah, we just yeah. oh, we just want to you know do the right things and play to win. Uh, I know Calvin DeHaan is a guy that I had an interesting that was talk an interesting with about. Story about the, yeah. the analytics. He wasn't a big fan. Um, but uh, I'm not sure about Kane. I'm sure he knows about them. I don't know how much he buys into them. But uh, that'd be a good thing to ask him about at some point. Yeah. Did you write a story on Dahan with that? Probably, yeah. I, I think... believe you did, yeah. I, mean, I remember reading that, and I had just read something about that. I don't know if it was your story or somebody else's, but I had read that you know, the other day. I had reread it. What I found interesting about him is that he was, he was reluctant to it but he he seemed to understand it very well it wasn't like he just you know blew it away because numbers aren't part yeah. of the game but yeah he seemed to know it very well and he understood that certain parts matter but yeah i always i always um i always find it interesting when a player does uh you don't find it very often but i feel like if there's anybody who would look into that it would be patrick kane for sure I'm sure he knows a lot about them. I just don't think I've yeah. talked with him at length. But but yeah, no, Dah- you're right that Dahan definitely did know about it. Dahan's a smart guy too. He he yeah. always um, he, he's one of the most personable guys. Yeah. I I go to the, con- the convention because right now I'm I'm still in the uh, uh, I guess the fanboy stage uh, before I get into anything like this. But uh, he definitely was, uh, and I heard a lot about this um, just from Carolina fans, you know, online looking at Twitter, but. He was by far like the most personable guy there. Like it, it, it was almost like I was. I uh, you talk about Taves asking you questions. He was the one asking me like, you know, oh, where did you play? You know, why are you here? You know, what made you a fan? He was asking me these things. I'm like, Jesus, man. Like, you know, you don't get that from a player very often. So I'm a, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can imagine he's uh, probably one of the more easier people to interview too. I would think. Yeah, definitely. It, I mean, we, we're not allowed to interview guys when they're hurt, so him being out since December was oh, yeah. uh, tough because uh, he was definitely one of the go-to guys for quotes the first few months of the year. But uh, having him back now is good. Uh, there was already a one good interview with him now, even though it's through Zoom. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, from a journalistic perspective, I definitely appreciate having Don back. Yeah. And yeah, I bet the Blackhawks like having him back too on the ice because he was really starting to find his form before he got injured. So it's good that he mm-hmm. kind of gets a second crack at it at the playoffs. So I kind of want to transition into that, uh, like the the training phase and the, the upcoming series against the Oilers. And what was the overall feel and atmosphere of uh, like the practices for the phase three? Well, they were pretty intense, I would say. I expected them to maybe ease into a little bit more, but uh, pretty much right from the start, they were going hard, um, doing some pretty intense drills and conditioning skates. Um, during the regular season, the practices are normally around 45 to 55 minutes. They rarely go past an hour, but all of these practices were pretty much an hour 15, an hour 30, so... Uh, they were really making the most of it and, and working the guys hard, and there was a good pace to everything. Um, in the scrimmages, there some guys seemed a little rusty, uh, but in general, it was a pretty good pace of play, and 
Uh, guys were taking it seriously, even though it was just an intra-squad scrimmage. So I was impressed with how uh, intense training camp was, and I hope that uh, that should prepare them well for the playoffs. What were some uh, players that stood out to you? Not necessarily like a player like Kane or Taves, but kind of a, a bubble player that stood out to you in your eyes. Uh, I really like Lucas Carlson. Uh, I think a lot of fans are sort of on his bandwagon, too. <laughs> um, but, uh, he, I mean, he only played six games before the stoppage, but uh, he looked really good in those games, uh, responsible defensively and capable of moving the puck and getting involved in the offense. And I thought he looked really good in camp, too. He was involved with the first team the whole time. They had him with Seabrook a lot. And then um, after Seabrook announced he wouldn't come, they shifted him in with some other guys. I'm not sure if he'll make the lineup for game one. It kind of depends on Murphy's health. But I think he's definitely proving himself uh, an important part of the team moving forward, especially since uh, how young he is. Uh, I thought, uh, uh, hey, uh, let's see. Secure was pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure what his future is, uh, just because he's been around so long. But uh, he shows flashes from time to time, and this was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Doc, I think everyone, he's not exactly a bubble player, but uh, he definitely took a big step forward, and he's going to be a very, very good player. Yeah. I think uh, I got to say that, well, you mentioned Lucas Carlson, and it's uh, he's been kind of a topic um, on our podcast a bit in terms of uh, talking about like you know futures and uh, possible like, players to squeak into the lineup in the playoffs or qualifying rounds, whatever you may call it. Um, and I, I just feel the need to talk about this. It's, you know, I, I'm still, you know, a fan of the team. So there's going to be some bias I have there, but right off the bat, he really, he really, really impressed me. I kind of want to get your thoughts a little bit more on him because I thought his first two games, I, well, to also mention, I, I know Pierce and I had, and Spencer as well, we talked about him kind of being the uh, hidden gem on the in the Blackhawks farm team. And, yeah. uh, you know, so there was like, I was excited to see him. And, uh, you know, it felt like ever since his first game, the thing that really impressed me, for a guy who's so young, I believe 20, just turned 23, or it was January, I forget. But either way, just like you said, so sound defensively. Um, I know that it's a bit much. I know John Weidman uh, on one of the scrimmages, he compared him to a, a young Nicholas Jalmerson. And not to say that he needs to fill those shoes, but it just it, it surprised me. I haven't seen a, a defenseman for this team jump up so fast, but be so uh, so sound so soon. And uh, yeah, he only did play six games, but it felt like every single game it was uh, not just sound defensively, but that first pass was always there. And uh, God, I remember there was only one, one goal I've seen where he was really out of position, but I just think that I... Um, I don't know. I could see him being, I don't know if this is much to say, but I could see him being a guy who could play in the second pairing in a pinch. Like maybe you put him next to a guy like Murphy if he uh, continues to find his feet in the next season. Uh, I kind of wonder where you think he might uh, find himself next season if he progresses uh, with his progress, so to say. Yeah, no, I, I think a second pairing could definitely be in his future. Uh, he he really impressed me too. And the, and those six games, yeah, there were only six games, but uh, there was during a period of a lot of turmoil for the team right around the trade deadline and uh, some guys not sure of their future, some guys getting traded away and uh, the team sort of shifting its focus ahead from making the playoffs to the future and for him to come in and um, sort of stabilize things so much even during such a tumultuous period uh, was really impressive. Um, and, and yeah, he's continued it in camp. Uh, I think the one thing is that uh, I w- coming into last year, I would have kind of lumped him in with Dennis Gilbert as two guys who uh, had done well in their first year in the AHL and had a chance to get some NHL time. 
And obviously Gilbert kind of got all the attention at first, and he was really good in training camp last year, and uh, Duncan Keith was raving about him, and he came in the first few games and was pretty good, and then his play really fell off. Yeah. Uh, and after December, we never really heard about him again. And then Carlson kind of just had sort of the second wave of that, and uh, no one was really talking about him until February or so, and then he comes up and impresses. So I think, like Gilbert, he, he needs more time to prove that this isn't just a flash in the pan, but certainly everything we've seen from him so far is impressive, and uh, he, he could be a part of the team for a while. I like to hear that. Good to hear. All right, so you... Um, obviously, as a writer, you've had uh, the chance to vote for uh, the awards. So, um, what are like what was your your uh, like process for voting for awards? Because obviously, I I heard on uh, another podcast that you had Dominic Kubalik first. So I just kind of want to hear your uh, thoughts behind that or your pro- thought process behind that. I don't think I had him first. I think I had him behind or, the two defenses. Or I meant third. I, I said I thought I said third. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I think he he earned it. Uh, he was the top uh, forward uh, rookie in the league, and he scored thirty goals, which is um, tough to do. And uh, it wasn't a cheap thirty-two. I think he earned them. So, um, I mean, I clearly think that uh, that either Hughes or Makar will win. I had Makar ahead of Hughes, but I think those two guys are clearly. Um, the two guys that it should go to, but uh, Kubelik definitely earned uh, his finalist. In general, just uh, for the process, I would just look on Hockey Reference, just the general point and goal leaders in the category, and then also dive a little bit more uh, into the advanced stats and like natural stat trick and everything. Uh, and then I also looked around to see what uh, other writers are saying, just to not really copy them, but just see what uh, the other consensuses were. And just sort of weigh that all together and um, put together my list. It took me about an hour, uh, so it wasn't a, a super long project. Um, but we also, the PWHA only votes on, I think, six awards. Uh, and then there, the others are from various other venues. But uh, it was definitely cool to get to do that. This is my first season uh, voting on that. Uh, certainly a, an odd season to do it, especially with an incomplete sample size each guy only playing 68 to 70 games instead of 82. But uh, yeah, it was fun to put that together and to know that uh, my vote is one 150th or something of the total uh, input. So what if other guy wins by like one vote, on? maybe it'll be me. <laughs> what other awards did you get the vote on? Uh, so we had the, well, we had the heart. Uh, we had the Calder. We had the lady Bing. Uh, we had the Norris. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There was at least one more, I think. And then we had the uh, end of year All Star teams, uh, which no one really pays attention to, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. You mind sharing your uh, your uh, nominees, like your top three for each award? I'm not supposed to give them an order, but I'll give. I'll go. I'll find them and. Uh, oh, okay. All right, top three. That sounds that's good enough for us. I'm curious to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't like exactly sure if you're allowed to disclose them or whatever, but yeah, just even hearing the three of each one, that's what well, good enough for us, really. So they have us submit five, but I'll, five, I'll, yeah. I'll just I'll narrow it to the top three. I don't think anyone's right. gonna go after me for this. Uh, <laughs> so I had McKinnon, Panarin, yeah. and Drysidle for the heart. Yeah, great answer. Uh, but right. 
Uh, certainly, that was a tough one because guys like Pasternak and McDavid are also very good and had great seasons. So that was hard to narrow it down. Uh, but I just think Panarin just sort of single-handedly carried the Rangers to playoff contention. Uh, McKinnon, I think, is an extremely impressive player. He has a little more help around him than Panarin does, but uh, just his ability to take over at the game is amazing. And then Dreisaitl, just, I mean, he led the league in points by quite a margin. So uh, even if I think having McDavid on the team is a pretty significant advantage, uh, he, he led the league in points, so you can't uh, not include him. Um, for the Norris, I had uh, Hedman, Carlson, and Yossi. Uh, I think Carlson and Yossi are pretty much the two uh, clear front runners. Uh, but Hedman had amazing stats uh, in terms of the advanced categories. Um, and then Carlson obviously had a lot of points, but didn't do as well in terms of the advanced stats. And Yossi was kind of in the middle there of uh, doing well in the traditional and advanced stats, but not as well as the other two and their respective areas so um i think those and then i had uh dougie hamilton and petrangelo just outside the top three um, sucks that um, hamilton got injured because he was my favorite for the norris because i thought he could have made a run yeah. for- we had we had mid-season voting and i think he was my number one at that point yes. it was definitely unfortunate that he got hurt yeah um, no, he really uh, came out of nowhere this year with that it's incredible yeah no he i he certainly has had a sort of odd career in terms of He's been pretty successful wherever he's gone, but uh, not always in the most beloved player. So I think he's found yeah. a good niche in Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and then for Calder, I had McCarr, uh, Hughes, and Kubelik, as we talked about. Intellectual um, choices. The Lady Bing is kind of a crapshoot because I don't think anyone really knows exactly what to judge it on and just kind of goes on penalty minutes, <laughs> even though it's pretty yeah. <laughs> representation of uh, the qualities. But... Uh, I had Tara Vinen, O'Reilly, and McKinnon for that. Oh, that's a great pick. That's Tara a good Vinen. one. Tara Vinen, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I saw a lot of movement for Slavin as far as the Hurricanes, but uh, I think Tara Vinen was also deserving. Um, God, when's the last time a defenseman got the Lady Bing? Am I wrong in questioning? I think only one has ever won. So Bri- I, was I think it was Brian Campbell Slavin. in 2012. Yeah. I could see that, yeah. Wow, that's weird, yeah. yeah I, I'd like to see some defensemen in there just because, yes, you obviously brought up Slavin. It's just, as a defenseman, it's so hard to play and not take that many penalties. So, yeah, Slavin, I thought, would have been a good candidate. And I heard Ryan Suter as well plays very good defensively. He doesn't take many penalties. So, yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting yeah. to see more defensemen going forward. I'm apparently part of the problem because I voted for all <laughs> forwards. So. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> yeah, but uh, all, all those three players were deserving of it, though. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And also, it, the Lady Bing is not the most revered trophy, so maybe not the <laughs> highest stakes there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we also had the Selkie. That was the one I forgot. Yeah. Uh, and I had uh, Couturier, Sorelli, and O'Reilly for that as well. Oh, that's interesting. Sorelli, yes. Yeah. That is a fantastic pick. Yeah, I was disappointed he didn't get one of the finalists. Uh, I had Bergeron fourth, uh, but he sort of rides on reputation at this point. Did you have Philip so. Denol in there? He was my fifth, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Those yeah, are that is the, I I don't say I you know what I don't disagree with Bergeron because he definitely gets himself up into the top five at least. But Sorelli and Deneau are a couple of guys that I I feel like a lot of fans knew they should be picked. You know, just watching their play, looking at their stats, and how much they you know they might not have the highest point total, but defensively they've been they've impacted their team so well. But 
it feels like a lot of people higher up don't seem to realize that just yeah we re aren't really at that point where people are looking into those things so yeah no really those guys are definitely are definitely underappreciated for sure um yeah. bergeron yeah, and o'reilly yeah. just are so much bigger names and couturier yeah. is kind of getting there and i think the no and sorelli is like getting his due it's awesome to see yeah, yeah. I saw this Dmitry Filipovich treat, tweet. I think it was like Anthony Sorelli and Danone not getting uh, Selkie finalists. Uh, they need to work on their offensive numbers to get their defensive recognition or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> so. sorry I saw that tweet too. Very true. That's always certainly great, helped Bergeron get the, his nine straight or whatever. Yes. So, seems yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, did you have uh, another question? Because I've been kind of beating the drum of Connor Hellebuck being not only a Vesna winner. I know you don't vote on the Vesna. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's GMs. But uh, did you have him in your heart consideration as well? I did look at him for the heart. I think he might have been sixth, if we but we only submitted five. Yeah. Um, but uh, I definitely did look at him. And he, I mean, yeah, you're right that we don't vote in the, the uh, Vesna. But uh, I think he would be a very strong candidate for that, maybe number one. agree with that. Uh, all right um so we're gonna give like we asked you your uh like your uh call like your uh, awards uh like your finalists now we're gonna ask you some uh questions like say your predictions for the playoffs um interesting because like, i haven't actually plans. thought about these so yeah you're on the spot so um first one we're gonna give you the chicago edmonton series what do you think happens there I think I can't pick against Edmonton at this point. It's a 5-12 series. But I, I do think the Blackhawks probably have a better chance than the seeding would suggest. Um, just because they have gotten healthy. I mean, every team's kind of gotten healthy. But uh, I think it'll help them in particular with the number of guys they had banged up. And they have so much experience um, with uh, the core and all of their cup runs. And Edmonton, other than James Neal, doesn't have anyone who's played more than like 30 playoff games or something. So that's a stat. Um, no, geez. Uh, so I think that that should be an advantage. It's certainly an odd situation. So on one hand, I don't know how transferable experience from normal playoff runs will be, but on the other hand, maybe it'll be even more valuable considering how strange it's going to be and how much players are going to have to rely on what they knew before. So uh, I think the Blackhawks have a good chance, but uh, I can't pick against Edmonton. Uh, if I had to make a bet, which I don't think I'm allowed to do, I would bet on Edmonton. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's allowed to do that, so don't worry. Um, Can we hire Ben just to give me these random stats that I needed but just didn't know? That's fantastic. I didn't know that James Neal, like 30 or more, like that really, that does matter. That really does matter. I'm not entirely sure about that number. Um, but uh, you can look it up. He's he's played in a good number, and no one else really has played in more than a few dozen. I'm not entirely sure the exact look stuff, up now. Yeah, because he had that run with Nashville in 2017, then he had the yeah. run with uh, Vegas in 2018 with they lost in the final. He's, he's just been around for a while, so he's kind yeah. of accumulated them. Wasn't he? But, he was in conference finals with Pittsburgh in 2013 as well. And yeah, that's when they got the destroyed by Boston. Good. Like they only got three yeah. goals in that game, kind of like how the Blackhawks got swept by Nashville. That's uh, I was yeah. just two series. They always kind of like they're very similar. Um, so yeah, I think the I at first I was kind of going Chicago just because of a bit of bias and all that, but uh, kind of looking into it, like if the Blackhawks can stay out of the penalty box and all that, they have a very good chance because uh, 
I haven't been able to watch the games, but I watched the highlights of the Calgary Edmonton game last day or last night, and Edmonton just destroyed Calgary on the power play. Like they didn't, they didn't miss a beat at all with how good their power play was. So if they can stay out of the box and keep it five on five, because if you look at some of the advanced stats, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid weren't exactly amazing five on five. So I definitely think Chicago has a chance to keep it uh, close if they keep it five on five. But if they get in uh, penalty trouble, as good as their penalty kill actually was this season, I think they're they might uh, be out in a short order, but uh, I think it's going to be five games either way. It's going to be uh, like a very exciting series. I think it's one of my more exciting series, not just because the Blackhawks are playing, but there's a lot of offensive talent on each end. Yeah, it but, should be a high scoring one for sure. Yeah, but I, I've kind of switched mine to Edmonton in five now. Um, so the next playoff, uh, the next play-in series, I, I don't think I'm going in any particular order, but uh, Calgary versus Winnipeg, what are your uh, predictions for that? Uh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, certainly Hellebuck is really good, as we talked about. Uh, yeah. I don't think the rest of Winnipeg is that good this year. I wasn't uh, that impressed with them. Um, so I guess I'll go Calgary, uh, though they also were kind of shaky at times. Uh, especially on defense, but uh, that's a that's, that's a tough one. That should be a know. that should be a close series. I think both those teams have uh, some really good players and also some significant weaknesses. So, um, but I'll go with Calgary uh, tentatively. Yeah, I went Winnipeg just because for that reason, Hellebuck, and they were very top heavy. I think Kyle Connor had a very good year. I think he was point per game. Mark Shifley was right there, but then just the depth defensively and for forwards, it kind of dropped off. And Calgary was weird too because they had. The whole Bill Peters situation, and then they they yeah. got a new coach, and they actually didn't play bad, but it's just Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Manahan, the guys that you expect to be their stars, kind of had off here. So it's going to be an interesting uh, to see who, who wins that series. I think it can, can go either way. I think it's going to be another close series, like five games. But I chose Winnipeg just because goaltending, but uh, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised no, the, if Calgary won either. This goalie, is an interesting. The goalie impact could could definitely swing it for for Winnipeg but I just think that I mean they got kind of gutted last offseason and I just don't think they have the same like top to bottom um, complete team that they used to and that's another question I forgot to bring up for the Chicago Edmonton series do you think it makes a difference if Edmonton starts Smith or Koskinen because by every metric Koskinen is the better goalie but um, Dave Tippett is uh, is the coach in Edmonton, and he obviously has that long-lasting uh, relationship with uh, Mike Smith because they were together in uh, Phoenix and Arizona. And obviously, we can't forget 2012 where Mike Smith single-handedly stole that series. So do you think that makes a difference there? Yeah, I, I haven't thought too much about what the impact of that will be. Like you said, they're, they both have pros and cons. Um, but uh, Smith struggled in the playoffs last year, didn't he? He was with Calgary in that... Actually, if I recall, he was like one of the, the only oh, good, yeah. uh, goalie there. Yeah, because yeah, they got destroyed by uh, Colorado, but he was yeah. like only the reason why they were someone close. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. It's the weird thing about Smith because I mean, even last year we were all, uh, you know, just talking to each other. We're joking about how starting Smith was this ridiculous choice after he he struggled the regular season. He really struggled. So you're not wrong to think he struggled in the playoffs. I mean, anyone would think that, but he was one of the only bright spots they had. And the last time I believe he played before that was in Arizona when he had his insane run. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's one of those things where we joked about how, even now we joke about how he starting him would be ridiculous, but he just seems to turn it on at the right time. It's He's just one of those players, kind of like how Brian Bickle would do it. Devontae Smith probably had that with Washington. You know, some guys yeah. just have that extra touch. And uh, 
I apologize, uh, Ben. I went online and uh, crushed your stat, unfortunately. I uh, but to uh, anybody listening, so um, Chris Russell has 49 games. I believe Tyler Ennis has exactly 30. Alex Chason has 30 playoff games. Yeah, he won the cup with Washington, I think. Weirdly enough, Mike Smith only has 24 playoff games in his career, and I'm pretty sure they came in the two playoff seasons he's had, which is hmm. pretty insane. Or maybe like one with Tampa Bay or something, but besides that. But you mentioned James Neal. 104 playoff games over double the next guy on that team. So you talk yeah. about playoff experience. You mentioned him. There's your guy. Right yeah. there, and he seems to he seems to have that touch in the playoffs too. He does not he doesn't slack around then. Well, and props to you for looking it up, and sorry for uh, for giving Chris. <laughs> oh Russell. no, no, thank you for making me like this kind of stuff fascinates me. So thank you for bringing it up. But I think, but the thing is, to your point though, um, a guy like Chason, I believe, had thirty besides uh, him and Chris Russell and uh, my. You know, not even Mike Smith, they don't have that playoff experience. There were maybe two other guys who had that, and they're not guys who you – they're not very notable players. Yeah. You know, Chase yeah. on the fourth line, or Chris Russell's a, a bottom-pairing defenseman right now. You know, they – like, again, to your point, they don't have that – you know, they don't have a leader or, you know, Dreisaitl only has, God, 13 playoff games. McDavid only has 13. Nugent Hopkins right there, too. They don't have that big player, that big leader who has more than – God say, you know, 20 playoff games. Maybe Adam Larson, I think, might from 2012, but that's about it. Yeah. They don't have that up front. So, yeah, I, I think that, that could affect them. Obviously, you know, some teams just figure it out. They have to at some point. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how, how little uh, experience they have and how that might affect them in the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that's the Blackhawks probably their biggest advantage going into this is how much experience they they have and not having Seabrook I guess takes away one of those guys but still uh, Crawford being back now and Keith and Kane and Taves and even guys like Saad uh, have have seen a lot of playoff games so you know I'm wondering the last time we saw them they got swept by by Nashville and that was like that's the last memory we have of the Blackhawks but before then you know these that playoffs was kind of its own isolated you know situation but aside from that they've always been this team that when they're there they're there and you still like everyone says they still have that core. So, you know, you wonder if that could really, uh, if that really could propel them in that sense, you know. And uh, yeah, that's what they're banking on, at least. They have to, yeah. I would think so. so. You brought up Corey Crawford. Do you think he's good to go for game one? It's tough to say because I don't get to see the practices now that they're in Edmonton. Um, yeah. I know he's been a full participant uh, in the two they've had since going there. And I imagine we'll see him at least part of the game tonight against St. Louis. But uh, it's it's hard for me to say. Um, I know that he really does not skate much in the summer. Uh, he typically oh, shows oh. up for training camp like one day beforehand, even in normal summers, um, and spends the rest of it in Montreal not really doing a whole lot. So he's not a guy who needs a lot of time to get back into game readiness. Yeah, uh, that he is cutting it close, and he's never had coronavirus before, and so that he may be entering at sort of a lower level of readiness than he normally does uh, for training camp. So I, I really don't know if he's going to be ready for Saturday. Is that a common thing with goalies to, uh, to start that, that close to training camp? Goalies probably do in general uh, skate less in the summers than other players, but uh, I think it is unusual for 
of goalie to skate as little as Crawford does. Works out for him. It works for him. He's uh, 34 now and uh, still going, and he's overcome a lot of injuries and everything in his career. So it's clearly working. Yeah, no kidding. So if Crawford isn't ready to go for game one, would you give it to uh, Subban or Dila? Which goalie looked better to you during uh, like the practices and the scrimmages? You know, this is interesting because entering camp, I would have given Delia the edge. Uh, I thought mm. Delia was pretty solid uh, season before last in the NHL. Um, he really was great the second half of the year in the AHL this past season. Uh, he struggled the first half, but that was due to some personal issues. I actually had a, a good talk with him about at one point. So uh, I would have given it to Delia. Subban has not had a good past two years with Vegas. But I thought Subban looked better than Delia did in training camp. Uh, and I thought that while they were mainly rotating them, I thought uh, there were some scattered indications that they might be preferring Subban uh, just from certain placements they put him in or certain drills they put him with and, and who he was playing against. So uh, I thought uh, Subban looked better, not only just uh, in terms of his, his athleticism uh, in the goal, but also playing the puck. Uh, was a big thing that he did a lot better than than Delia does. Uh, and that's something that Crawford does well. So if they wanted to sort of get a goalie that could fill in for Crawford in that way, I think Subban would be the better pick. Um, so I would think they would go with Subban for Saturday if uh, Crawford can't go, uh, which surprised me. I wouldn't have thought that a few weeks ago. And that brings up another question. Do uh, do the Blackhawks play Crawford that whole that whole series if they're ready to go, or do they get maybe Subban or Delia in for one game there? It's being, it can be interesting because there's going to be te- teams with two goalies like Vegas with uh, Fleury and Leonard. They might uh, even like in a seven game series they might do that, but uh, obviously this is qualifying round, so um, like the games are close together. So I'm just wondering, do they maybe put in Subban or Delia for one of those games just to get Crawford some rest there if he's not 100%? I think it just depends on what kind of results Crawford has. I think if, if he's playing well and or winning, I don't think you can really take him out considering what a short series it is. I mean, it's going to be over in a week or less. Um, it is going to be tough for him to come in from after all this time off and dealing with coronavirus to immediately playing as many as five games in eight days or whatever. But I don't think you really have a choice in that situation as long as he's playing well. All right, so um, we, we were talking about the the other playoff series, and we, of course we had to get back to Chicago because Chicago, Chicago. <laughs> um, so onto the other playoff yeah. series, yeah. Um, Nashville, Arizona. What is your uh, take on that series? I think Nashville uh, has the better team there. Um, I was surprised they weren't better than they were this season. Um, they seemed to be a little snake bitten at times, uh, and their power play is is not very good. Um, but uh, I think, in general, they're a, a good team. And uh, Arizona, I feel like all, every, all that we're hearing about is the John Chaka drama. But uh, Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I go with Nashville. Sorry, I don't have super in-depth uh, thoughts on these. I actually oh, no worries. haven't done that article yet. So. Well, I, have, I just uh, wanted well, to hear you choosing it. one team. That's all I wanted. <laughs> well, Pierce, i got to ask him one thing real quick. How do you feel yeah. about... Maybe this is a, a a bad question to ask, seeing as you're in the journal, you know, journalist uh, business. If it's maybe a rude question, but how do you feel about John Hines as a Nashville coach? Because there have been some very uh, questionable <laughs> lineup decisions before, and I'm referring to the, I believe it was 
the Ryan Johansson, Mikhail Granlund, and Matt Duchesne fourth line with Yossi on the second forward line. I think they were foolish to fire LaViolette. Uh, I really like LaViolette. Maybe that's because yeah. of the Carolina connection. But uh, I think he's a, <laughs> he can be kind of a hard ass, but I think he's a proven, effective, successful coach. It's kind uh, of your uh, Carolina Squinville, I would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's interesting with uh, LaViolette and Paul Maurice, both uh, were with Carolina before. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say LaViolette, LaViolette. No, I can't even say his name. He won the cup with uh, Carolina in 2006. Yes, yeah, yeah. correct. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Hines, I mean, that, that line you mentioned there is a little odd to have as the fourth line. Uh, I can't say I followed it too closely, the game-by-game lineups of the Predators. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know if – I don't think he's as good of a coach as LaViolette. Jeremy, I thought you were going a completely other direction. Do you remember that story where it's like, John, uh, there were some NHL people that thought John Hines <laughs> wouldn't be a good coach because he was too short and he wouldn't command the respect. Like, I think that was five years ago when he got in New Jersey, but that was a thing. I totally thought that was where you're going with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm five foot seven and a half, so that that article was when I realized that I'm never going to pursue being an NHL coach. That was when it, it died right there in the water. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, sure that the, was a thing, though, because I heard it on the Steve Dangle podcast. Hockey <laughs> culture has some very weird standards. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Don't they? Meaningless things, yeah. <laughs> All right. The last Western uh, playoff series, Vancouver versus Minnesota. Who do you got there? That's tough, too, man. All these are tough. Um, I'll go with Minnesota. Um, Ooh. Pulling off, uh, I guess it would be a little bit of an upset. Um I thought they were very oh, good yeah. defensively oh, this year. Maybe I think their group of forwards might be the best overall defensive group of forwards in the league. That's um, an interesting take. I like that. Yeah, that, that third line with like Erickson Eck and Greenway um, and uh, Felino uh, was really good. You go look at all the advanced stats, and they were all like in the top 15 or something in uh, some categories in terms of limiting shots and chances against. Um, oh, wow. I really, I, I think that, uh, and then the Hawks, when, when the Hawks played against them, they really struggled to create much offense on those games. And that was normally something the Hawks could do. Uh, they weren't very good at stopping the other team, but they were generally pretty good at producing offense. So I, I liked Minnesota's team this year, and I think they flew under the radar and could shut down uh, a pretty sort of average Vancouver team. So that'll be my surprise pick. I like that one. I like I like that because I, like I totally want Vancouver because of Jacob Markstrom and Quinn Hughes and then Elias Pettersson. Like I just think those guys are so good that they could be just huge factors. But Minnesota, obviously, they weren't bad defensively, like you brought up. And then one person that could be the breakout player for Minnesota is Kevin Fiala, who was elite down the stretch. Like I saw his numbers; oh, they were right up there with Patrick Kane. Like I think they're even better than Patrick Kane. Like he was way over point per game and. I know he struggled at the beginning of the season, but Fiala's kind of always been one of those players that I've really liked, even going back to his draft year, and I've just kind of been waiting for him to break out offensively, and I think he could be a breakout player, like in the series where it's like, well, Kevin Fiala's become this elite player, so that's another uh, factor in there. And uh, uh, Didn't we have a thing, Pierce, where we Perlini was in the block, and we went, oh, you know, Kevin Fiala's out there, you know. I know, that's what I thought, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's just and then he like, breaks out the same year. I remember, like, at the time how we thought, like, this is such, like, a good trade for Nashville. Now, like, now that 
Fiala's like emerged as such a good offensive player for Minnesota. Like we kind of like change your perspective on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah I remember the, the trade the happened. Paul Fenton article. That was the one move he made that was really like very like well good. Um, very. I remember when uh, the Grandland trade happened, and my uh, my good friend, I guess I'll shout him out, Brett Marshall. He uh, has written a bit for the uh, like uh, his own his own little uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking out here. His own little website, but he talks about the Wild a bit, and this guy's pretty knowledgeable with them. And uh, he was pretty upset when Grandland got traded, but he uh, the next day I believe he pulled up Kevin Fiala's underlying statistics, and he's like, okay, maybe this isn't all bad. And wouldn't you know it, the next year he just man, just goes completely off, and uh, we're, we're seeing the player that uh, Nashville and uh, David Poyle saw in that draft uh, draft day. Yeah. No, Fiala's a good player for sure. Um, and I, I don't mean to diss Vancouver. Certainly they're a fun young team, yeah. have a bright future. How dare um, you make fun of the team that's rivals with mine? Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I really enjoy Vancouver in terms of traveling um, and covering games. Vancouver might be one of the most fun places. Uh, to go. Great city, uh, great atmosphere. Their game presentation is really cool. I'm kind of a sucker for that, for cool pre-game yeah, hype videos and stuff. Hey, Vancouver does it very well, so uh, I do, I do like their team. Them. And uh, they're they're a fun team to watch. I think we can all agree. We're, you know, I think uh, all of us can say we're all cheering for Pedersen, you know, even if he's, uh, you know, sort of, you know, we joke about the Canucks and how they're slightly rivals with the Hawks, but I think everyone in hockey can admit that Patterson is uh, just absolutely filthy. Everyone's kind of rooting for that guy. He's uh, he's kind of, and this is weird, a bit, well, a bit much to say early on, but I feel like he's kind of the closest thing we've gotten to Datsuk since Datsuk left, and he might be that. Yo. He's just this dynamo of a player. Like, it, it's hard to explain, but he has that, he just has that presence that uh, Datsuk seemed, it sounds like he had early on, and the expectations may be high, but I feel like he's a guy who could definitely, uh, who could definitely get there. And uh, funny enough, we were all uh, we were all cheering for Quinn Hughes to be a Blackhawk on draft day. That was like our guy. God, I broke my heart, but then I realized Boakvist was out there. So definitely happy with who we got in that draft as fans. But uh, it, it's funny to say in 2020 that like it. God, I actually do watch Canucks games, and I'm like, I I kind of like this team, man. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. they can't no, deny they're fun to watch. They're fun. You should have dropped that for anyways. Two years. Really. Oh yeah, no. Hughes should never have dropped that far. God, what's his name? I said, why did I say Ben Shapiro? Mark Bergevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that name came up. He's been he's been talked about so much lately. Mark Bergevin. Um, uh, that that cock and yammy pick. Look, you know, it was it was so weird how that was. I uh, this like everyone was bashing on him for that pick. There's that uh notorious, infamous picture of the uh the old uh. Habs fan, and she's looking completely shocked right the after the pick. It, you know? And then, uh, gosh, Kachuk, uh, Brady Kachuk was a pick that was pretty solid, but then you have Barrett Hayden getting picked, and it looks like uh, even though those two players look like solid picks, it's Quinn Hughes is just jumps into the spotlight so damn well. And uh, with such ease and with such power this year that, God, you wonder if those guys might, you know, have their jobs looked at for that reason, just with how I – with how, uh, gosh, how lopsided that uh, that draft has gone since then, and those yeah. two guys took big risks. Don't know why I went in that tangent, but I just find that so fascinating how that that draft seems like the one where those two picks, like everyone knew that they were insanely risky picks. No one saw Hayden going at five, but it's almost like everyone was every fan and you know 
young and old was saying, don't go, don't go for Naomi, don't go for Hayton, but here we are, and Quinn Hughes is the number one future defenseman for the Canucks. I want to say I was listening to the Bob McKenzie podcast, and uh, apparently the Blackhawks had a lot of interest in Hayton, and they were shocked that uh, Hayton went that high, and then they end up going Bokefist, which I think was the better decision. Yeah, it worked oh, out yeah. for them, for sure. Yeah. All Bokefist right. Was, was good this year. Oh, so, yeah. We talked about Mark Bergevin and Kotkaniemi. I actually like on the Twitter, yeah, on the Twitter timeline, I saw Kotkaniemi that he had a good game last night against the Toronto in that exhibition game. He's making good passes. So on the topic of Montreal, who do you think wins the Montreal uh, Pittsburgh series? I mean, I, I have to go Pittsburgh. This is yeah, the most on paper lopsided series. Really played um, and they have Gensel <laughs> back now. Um, I don't think you can really pick against them at this point. No, but, uh, they're one. Of, I honestly, I think I'm going to choose them to win the cup this year. They're just you can never bet uh, against wow. them. <laughs> I hate that you're right, man. I hate that you're right because it's every damn year they just they just because they find a way. Not yeah. only, yeah, like like not only do they have Malk or Crosby and Malkin, but it's like Jake Gensel is like right up there because Jake playoff Jake Gensel is just a just a monster. And even so. guys like Brian Rust. I know point for Brian Russ is a monster, yeah. and he's huge in the playoffs too. Like he was I a just, guy that I think Pens fans wanted to trade a couple of years ago, but I'm telling you, yeah. man, playoffs come around and he just he turns out he again he's another one of those players, and they have so many of them. I and feel like, like Penguins. Pardon, pardon me to get kind of harsh on this, but Jake Gensel is like Penguins are a bit of a frustrating team for a fan because they they just. And this is a comic book nerd in me coming out, but they're, I, I always use this comparison Steve Dangle put out there. Is they're like Wolverine. You take a limb off and it's just it grows right back. You cannot kill that effing team. And uh, Jake Gensel feels like the embodiment of that team in the sense that he was this and no offense to him, he was this nothing player. He was this, oh he'll, you know, he'll come out to be something. And then he has a great playoffs. Okay, you know, well, he played on Crosby's line, of course. And then the guy goes and he scores 40 goals on his own. And it's just like, they don't stop. This guy comes from nowhere. He scores 40 goals. Brian Russ comes from nowhere. He's great in the playoffs. He's a solid penalty. I believe a solid penalty killer and just great Point player all around. There's a, well, I go off on those guys. Even John Marino. Yeah, you know. They, he had a good year. Team. It was impressive. Take John Marino for free and, you know, go be one of the best rookies in the league that nobody talks about. That'll definitely be their number two defenseman in the future. Like, <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, then there's Connor Sheary and there's a – no offense to the player. We have an inside joke um, that we talk about. There's a tweet some uh, a Pence fan let out uh, in 2017 where he said uh, – I believe Connor Sheary had, his, uh, had a two-goal game and he says – Connor Sheary is becoming an elite player in his own right. He's the next Martin St. Louis or something like that. I think so every- before that in that 2016 run where he scored against the Rangers, it's like, wow, uh, Connor Sheary out here looking like the next Martin St. Louis. <laughs> every time we hear Connor Sheary, it's no offense to him, but we just go, oh, man, elite player Connor Sheary, man. Penguins really just get anybody they can, huh? <laughs> so, uh, no, but to that point, man, they just don't die that team does not die and even him like he's this great he put him you put him with Crosby he puts up points like you saw yesterday he he yeah. played with them he fits in with that team so well he scored yesterday didn't he yeah he did yeah, yeah. He, he it's almost like I, I feel like some players just have their teams and he's kind of that guy where he with Pittsburgh he just fits in with their system with their team 
just perfectly well. I think the key is with Pittsburgh is that like they're really healthy too. Like throughout the season, they battled through some injuries and stuff, but now um, they get most they got almost all their guys back. I mean, Nick Buke said it's like the one guy that's dealt with oh like most injuries throughout the season, but. I mean, they're healthy all around. They have a really good top six, obviously, Crosby, Malkin. Um, then you have their back end. And you have their goaltending, too. I mean, with Tristan Jerry, he had a really strong season, and Matt Murray. So it's kind of like a 1A, 1B option there. So that's to Pierce I, McCoy, I honestly feel like they have a really strong chance at winning the Cup, too. Again. And I don't know if you've seen this tweet either, Ben, but it's like probably my oh, most wow. favorite tweet. Was a Toronto fan. He said that like Pittsburgh will lose eight players, but then they'll get in, uh, like uh, players like Mark Donk and Buzz flip it back, and they'll have like, 15 points. That just that just tweets something to Pittsburgh Penguins right there, and that's one of my favorite tweets ever. Is it Mark Donk and Buzz flip it. <laughs> I was convinced that John Marino wasn't a real person until I looked at the underlying stats and all that. I'm like, okay, well, we're we're doing this again. Great, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, he's. You're, you're, you guys are right that uh, they pull players out of nowhere and they end up being good. Um, I don't know what it is All in the right. water there. I don't know if it's like Crosby's got his magic potion, but the, the, there's just something with that team that they just they find a way every time. I guess I'm beating a dead horse, but man, it just it it infuriates me, but it also compels me. It's incredible. There's no other team does it like they do. Yeah, yeah, they won the back-to-back cups, and then it took for Washington a third try to beat them. And even when they lost, like they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, Washington Capitals. I thought last year was kind of an anomaly when they got swept by the Islanders, but I think they're going to use that as motivation to come back and have another deep playoff run. Why do the Islanders have to piss them off, man? Like we were this close to ending it, and then you pissed <laughs> off Crosby and Malkin. You pissed off Malkin. That was your biggest mistake. Oh yeah. is 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 right up there with crosby (laughs) um so the next playoff series enough about the penguins let's stop giving them attention thank you Um, thank you um columbus versus toronto who do you got in that series you know it'd be hilarious if toronto lost again so i have to go for columbus (laughs) you're going columbus Uh, i don't know if it's a smart pick but uh just it would be so much entertainment that uh I, I, I have, I have to pick that. No, I don't think yeah. any of us here think it's a bad Columbus. pick. Columbus is a well-oiled team. Tortorella's really gotten them together. Like, they don't have a good roster. They really don't. Yeah. But Tortorella knows how to put it together, man. They've kind of pulled some guys out of nowhere, too. Uh, yeah. The, Elvis. Yeah. El- really? Elvis. <laughs> that was the Blackhawks uh, crazy game there was kind of the start of Elvis. That was wild. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Columbus beat Tampa Bay last year, albeit they did have uh, Panarin, Duchesne, and Bobrovsky, all of that. But they just have yeah. that. They have that confidence. Like, yeah, we beat Tampa Bay last year, one of the best teams in the past 20, 25 years. Is that we could probably beat Toronto in a five game <laughs> series as well, albeit with not the same weapons. But I also don't think Toronto is as good as Tampa. So yeah, I think no, they have a shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next series is Florida versus uh, the New York Islanders. Who do you have in that series? This is another tough one. Uh, I was actually just looking at the Lions before hopping on this call, and I think they're exactly even right now, uh, which is crazy. that You don't see that much. Um, yeah. Let's see. This really feels like the, they both have their sh- – like they're, not, they're the two teams where I feel like 
The Islanders are really petering off at the end of the year. Yeah, they were really struggling down the stretch for sure. And the Panthers weren't doing, if I remember right, they weren't doing too well. So it just kind of feels yeah, the, like... Both of these teams definitely declined down the stretch. Uh, I'll yeah. go with the Islanders just because they, I mean, they, they beat the Penguins last year, as we talked about. And um, mm. I think they, they have a pretty good structure, uh, even if they might not be the most talented team. And they have Barzell, who's obviously very good. Um, so I'll go with the Islanders. Sorry, give me a second. Oh no worries. Um, uh, yeah, I, we'll just I, I'm gonna take Barry Trotz over Bob Booner any day. I got no, he's not even their coach. It's <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> no, then that's actually pretty even. Great coaches, mediocre, sort of mediocre rosters. Actually, yeah, that's the thing. I feel like I feel like, but I feel like. Barry Trotz has implemented his system much, much better into New York than Quinville has with Florida. Um, I almost wonder if maybe it's a growing season. You know, I don't want to judge things too fast, but um, I almost start to wonder if maybe Quinville, maybe he's hitting that point in his career. But then you look at the Panthers' defense and you go, okay, well, not all his fault. And their and their goalie Bobrovsky. Oh, you know what? That's that on me. Yeah, there. Bobrovsky was statistically one of the worst goalies in the NHL. It was NHL very bad. Yeah. Given... I don't know what Florida's future is. Um, Hoffman and Dadnov are both free agents, and apparently they want to cut salary. Oh, I saw that. That's oh, true. God, and Florida can't pay as much yeah. as other teams can. Plus, they have all their money tied up in Bobrovsky. There was sort of the uh, it was almost like the Steve Dangle um, I little trick they have where they would go, okay, well, let's take a bad a team with bad goaltending and let's give them average goaltending and what would they look like? Mm-hmm. And I feel like you do that with Florida and they'd be like a playoff team easily. Yeah. They have – the defense is pretty rough, but offensively they you – you have Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberdo, Dadnov, Hoffman, Achari having a 20-goal year out of nowhere, pulling that out of his pocket. Vitrano. What's up? Vitrano. Yeah, but try, yeah, yeah, 20 yeah. goals from him too. Like you have a solid offense and you you know, you have Ekblad still playing where he's at and Mark Pissick's very underrated. I feel like you give that team maybe Spencer Knight comes out of nowhere in a couple of years. Yeah. That's all I can wonder. I still don't know why they signed him to 70 I think it's 70 million. Yeah, 70 yeah. million 7 years, 10 And then draft Spencer Knight. Like I don't understand that. But. It's going to gut them if they have to give away Hoffman and Dadnoff. Because they can't afford them, because they paid all the Bobrowski, they're not going to still have contention window when night arrives. Yeah, and I want to say that's why they got rid of uh, Vinny Trocheck, and because yep. they needed to get rid of a uh, salary. You're kidding yeah. me? That's why? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the main reason. Ridiculous. Well, I mean, that was a ridiculous too. trade. They gave him up for just a bunch of random pieces that like won't really make that much of an impact. I, I think Erica Hall is very underrated, but I don't think he's on. I don't think he's as good as Vinny Trocheck or as uh, as consistent as he is. Hall had a great are. start to the year, but uh, I really tailed off. I mean, he's yeah, a he's solid not, player. He's, he he's definitely is, has value, but I don't think that. Generally, yeah. I just feel like whenever someone gets traded for like four or five different small value assets, it's never a smart idea. There's uh, always a reason for that too. category. There's a reason. It's not like, yeah, it's not because they want those four or five pieces specifically. Yeah. 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 All right. And the last playoffs, last playoff series is, I think this can be a really fun one. Carolina and New York. Who do you have in that series? 
Well, we've talked about Carolina a lot uh, on this uh, podcast, but uh, I have to go with the Rangers um, because, for one thing, Carolina is horrible against the Rangers. You go back and look at their results the last 10 years, and they never, ever win. I don't know what it is exactly, but uh, they just are completely incompetent against the Rangers. (laughs) And then the Rangers also really came on uh, the last couple months of the year. Um, They had a really strong finish, and they have two really good options in goal. They have an MVP candidate, and they they have an underrated group around them. So I think the Rangers could make kind of a Cinderella run. Got I that. think they might be the most benefited by the playoffs expanding to 24 teams. Uh, so I'll go with Panarin the Rangers. pretty good, isn't he? That, uh, that Panarin guy. He'd be nice to have on your team, yeah, wouldn't he? He'd be pretty good. Be pretty I good think he'd be nice next to a Patrick Kane. I'd like to see what those guys would do <laughs> together, but it's a shame we'll never get to see that in their careers. But... uh. I think that's we. Everyone was joking about that before the playoffs, and then Carolina. We don't know if Jonathan Taves voted against the uh, return to play or not because he's denying it. People are reporting it. Yeah. If I'm right, the only other vote was the Carolina Hurricanes. It was yeah, Carolina. They didn't want to play the Rangers. <laughs> that's they the voted unfair. They they voted against pretty much every single vote that they could have. Uh, there were multiple votes over the course of like the process, and they were always one of the no votes. I'm sorry, but I don't think I've ever seen a team possibly be so scared of a 12 seed in my entire life. It's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, you go back and look at the results. It's I don't know exactly their record, but it's something absurd. The Rangers have won like 30 of 35, something like wow. that. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the Rangers to gut them this series. It's going to be so funny. It's going to be I, fantastic. I think it's going to be a close and fun series, but I think this is the moment for Carolina where it's like they kind of get scared a little, but uh, they come, they pull out the win anyway. It's kind of like how Chicago, that Detroit series, was kind of like they're scared, but then they go on a deep playoff run. I think that's what's going to be for Carolina. But honestly, it would not surprise it would not surprise me if the Rangers won at all. Really, how do you vote against all those things and still have like the morale? Like, what does that do for team morale? Really, to say that's that we question. vote against everything and yet it's like it's almost like when you you say so many bad things about a person and then you find out they're still in the room with you. Like, oh, hey, oh, you're still here. Okay, now we have to deal with you with what we did here. It's, I just don't see it. I don't know, man. Like, I I think that playoffs are a different story, but I just think that I, it seems like mentally the Rangers have everything above Carolina right now, and that's why I take them. And they're playing with house money. They got no pressure at all. Like, they're everything's going fine in the rebuild. It's, It's just house money. What happens if they lose, they lose. And if they won, like that, good for them. It's just there's literally no pressure on them. And Carolina is trying to get out of this actively, and now they they're still there. They're still in the cage with the lion. I don't know. I just can't see the Rangers not winning this. I forget who I took, but the more I've thought about it, and now finding out about Carolina, I like, I I don't know. Well, what do you say, Ben? Like, if you have like a certain amount of games, what would you say? I don't know. It's so with especially with the best of five. It's such a crapshoot. There's it's such a, weird a thing, isn't it? small range of things. Um, so I don't know if I have a number there, but uh, yeah, I, I picked the Rangers. I mean, I think I think Carolina is maybe the better team. Uh, they had a better record. Um, yeah. Oh, for but, sure. Uh, and I think yeah. they're a good team. Um, but and they, I mean, they made the Eastern Finals last year. But yeah, you're right that uh, 
the Rangers just have their number and they've pretty much resigned themselves to that. So um, I think you kind of have to go with the Rangers in this matchup. Uh, All right. 11 seed, not 12. I'm going to get attacked on Twitter. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't tell the one Rangers fan I know. <laughs> all right, so there's all the, the play-in series. Um, so every year there's like a, there is a, a, a Devontae Smith-Pelly kind of player, Pat Maroon kind of player who scores the big goals, Nick Benino too, and then for the Blackhawks, Brian Bickle. Who do you think could be that player this year? It could be any team, but like also oh, the man, Blackhawks. Oh, this is a broad question. I, okay, <laughs> I have let's no say, idea. Let's, let's say the Blackhawks. Like, if they were gonna go, to go on a deep playoff run, who could there be their their next Brian Bickle who scores big goals, like a Devontae Smith, Pally, or a Patrick Murray oh, kind of player for them? The right answer. Hmm, I think I might say Drake Kajula. Yes, yeah. Yeah. that's unanimous for us. Okay. Um, he was Edmonton too. Yeah, he knows Edmonton. Uh, I think his style of play will work well in the playoffs. Uh, he was banged up a lot this season, and he's healthy now. Uh, and he has a lot to prove. He is an expiring contract, and with the salary cap situation, even though he is restricted, who knows if the Hawks will be able to keep him. Um, so I think there's sort of all the signs point to him being a guy that uh, could have a, a strong performance or certainly feel like uh, he needs to really make an impact and, and have the tools to do so. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. I'm glad that you guys agree. Three goals, no assists uh, in 13 games with the Oilers um, in their playoff run. I believe one of them was an overtime winner, if I'm correct. I don't playoffs. know that, but I remember he scored the first goal in game seven versus Anaheim. It was one nothing, but then Anaheim went on to win that game. That's what I remember. Because I was actually I was at the watching party for that game. I remember just all the Oilers fans so disappointed when they lost. I imagine that, I don't know which game of the series it was, but when the Ducks came back from three oh down my with God. four minutes to go, it was not your favorite moment. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I remember I was at work, and I like I just looked at the score, and it's like 3 nothing. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Oilers got this in the bank. And then when I got home, I checked. It's like 3-3 three, three going overtime. What happened? And then I just looked at the highlights. And then, of course, that controversial one where I think it was Kessler in the crease and interfered yeah. Talbot. Uh, and then, of course, I watched the rest of overtime, and then, of course, Corey Perry scores. Like, wow. The worst person to ever score goals in the history of the NHL. Even when he's like on Team Canada, I'm like, uh. <laughs> I man, I think we can all. No, I'm not gonna force on anybody, but I, I think I'm like, I think I'm, I, I think I run the Corey Perry hate club. I'm pretty sure. So, very you're glad to have on Team Canada. Hmm? You're not the only member of it. I feel like a lot of. People. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe you on that. I believe you on that. <laughs> I'm All right. Find the stats here. Ducks Oilers May fifth. Yeah, Drake Kajula scored in that game. You're right. Oh, he did. Scored. Yeah, I forget which. Like, I'm. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I'm looking this up. I just love stats in this dumb shit. <laughs> but he. Uh, he scored. I know he scored in overtime against the Ducks. I'm very sure of that. And then he uh, scored in the game where they. Uh, that happened. And then uh, game seven, I he opened the scoring. I believe it was a shorthanded goal. Um, I just remember that because I was at my rink at the time and I looked at my phone and I remember the Oilers were making that uh, very unfunny hotline bling joke. So I just have that like painfully oh my memory. So uh, yeah, no, he, he, he seemed to really like, in the, you know, 
the second series, once he really got his feet under him in the playoffs, he really started to, uh, um, really started to perform. So I, I, yeah, I really like we've all said here. I really want to see him in the playoffs and what he can do. It'll be nice to see, especially against he, his former team. That's got to be fun for him. He talked about it too that he feels that uh, his style will translate effectively to the playoffs and that he's excited to be back and uh, be able to show what he can do too. Uh, he seems like he's really looking forward to this. I'm sure the whole team is. Yeah, I can't believe uh, you in your your article you actually quoted him as saying Connor McDavid is the uh, most overrated star in the league. So I really feel we have to. <laughs> Did he say that? <laughs> no, he didn't. No, well, I mean, you asked Ben, of course. You know, he's the one talking to him. So I, you know, he wrote his article about that. So you know. he did not say that. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I thought he actually said that. That <laughs> would be. Oh, I would. I would love for players to do stuff like that, like the NFL, just taking shots to other players and the the animosity it would bring. That would be some like WWE Absolutely. kind of shit that the NFL has sometimes. It would be especially comical for Kajula to go after McDavid, considering yeah. that <laughs> they play. I mean, the same I like line. Kajula. I think he's an effective player, but obviously he's not on McDavid level, so that would be pretty. That's awesome. why it's fun, though. That's why it's fun. <laughs> Tom, it's like Tom Wilson, man. Everyone like, well, I don't like him myself, but everyone hates the guy. But then he goes and he he scores five goals or whatever in the playoffs, and you're like, like f me. <laughs> Tom Wilson is so much better than I wish he was. Yeah, that, exactly, exactly. Kajula <laughs> is not on that level like in any way in terms of dirtiness, but yeah. Um, gosh, what was I gonna say is I uh, there was something. Uh, it was a, a quote that I have to bring up because it we were joking about it. Um, for a lot of reasons, but uh, uh, McDavid, I'm sure, well, you know what, I'm guessing you would have heard of this, obviously, um, but uh, McDavid's teammates quoted as saying that he is somehow faster. Oh, no. Break. So we're wondering. I actually had not seen that quote. I, I don't know if they're fear-mongering or if McDavid has broken the speed force like the Flash. It, might and, be, it just might be both. I think so. I, you know what? Yeah, I think it is both because I'm ready to see. Yeah, I don't know if Duncan Keith is going to have his head on the same way if he's actually faster. So, a little terrified to see what happens there. That's he real. looked good in the game last night. Oh, yeah, yeah. that whole Oilers team did. Yeah, yeah. scared me is that he can look good as he wants, but you know he isn't going as fastest in that game. Yeah, you know he's not playing as hard as. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, well, a lot of fun for some people to see uh, <laughs> in, uh, in a couple of days or so. I'll be uh, enjoying it in pain, I guess. I don't know. Sure so you're kind of talking about Kajula, too, especially with Andrew Shaw out right now. Do you think, Ben, like maybe Kajula could kind of play like that Andrew Shaw role for the Blackhawks if they make a deep run? Because maybe he could be that guy, like especially at training camp, he, was, he seemed to be in the right areas at the right time. But he could also play that grinder-like role. So I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts on that. No, I think Andrew Shaw is a very similar player to Kajula, and he definitely will be playing kind of that role. I think he's he's useful to this team because he can play in all four lines. Uh, they can yeah. put him up next to Taves on the first line, or they could put him on the fourth line and have him be a grinder. He can He's pretty versatile. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he, that's a, definitely an accurate comparison for him. Yeah, kind of. Feels like the kind of player every championship team needs, you know, just a guy you can plug anywhere and still be very effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a Patrick Hornfist or a Tom Wilson. Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. Pat, 
All right. Um, so, Spencer, you actually haven't had much time to talk, and I know you yeah. had a, a big question to ask, and it's kind of on topic just because uh, he didn't make, he's not making the, the travel to Edmonton. So, yeah, Spencer, you have the floor now to ask that. So, with Brett Seabrook, I was kind of curious, like, especially with this quote that he had, kind of taking a little bit of a shot. I don't know if it was a shot, a little bit of a shot, though, kind of at Colleton and both Bowman as well, but. Um, I was kind of curious as well because, uh, especially Seattle coming in, like, in two years, especially, like, um, maybe he could be a guy if he doesn't really see his role, like, if he kind of sees his role with the Blackhawks kind of coming to an end a little bit, especially with some of the guys coming in uh, the next few years. Um, do you think he could be a guy that maybe um, if, he, if, if he is kind of maybe done with the Blackhawks, if he – could move on to Seattle if Seattle might be willing to take on that contract, especially since he's kind of from around that area. He's from Vancouver, so Seattle's kind of nearby. But I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts on that, too. Well, we don't really know what Seattle's strategy is going to be. Um, it's a year off, and I don't think Ron Francis has talked too much about exactly what method they'll take. But uh, I think if Seattle is interested in him, the Hawks would definitely try to see if they could facilitate that Um Obviously, Seabrook has a no-movement clause, which is yeah. posing all sorts of problems for pretty much every method of um, moving his contract off the books. But uh, it does seem like there's a bit of a frayed relationship between Seabrook and Colleton, and I think he, he realizes that uh, he's not part of the team's long-term plans. But clearly, mm -hmm. he still believes in himself and thinks that he still has several years left of being an NHL player. So uh, if he feels like the Blackhawks don't believe in him like uh, he does... And it seems like that might be the case. Uh, maybe he would be willing to um, to accept a trade or a move to expansion team. Um, there's a lot left to be determined. We don't know if Seattle will want him. Obviously, he's uh, kind of struggled <laughs> lately and has a huge contract. So uh, there's a lot to be figured out. But uh, I think that'll be a big storyline moving forward. Uh, it's, every interview he's done over the past year has been kind of passive-aggressive towards the Blackhawks. So... We'll see yeah. what happens. It's tough to see. Yeah. I think I said this last podcast. Uh, another place that kind of makes sense for Seabrook would be the Florida Panthers just because Joel Quenville and they have that long-standing relationship, obviously. And yeah. at the end of the day, I just like I'd, if Seabrook thinks he's good to play and like he's not part of the future of the Blackhawks, you just want him to be on another team mm -hmm. that he could potentially give for us. So I just hope no matter what happens that like the – Seabrook just gets what he wants, so the Blackhawks like what everyone get. Everyone gets what they want, so yeah. Dale Talon gets to have another big contract. Everyone gets <laughs> yeah, that. that's true. I didn't even think <laughs> of that. Um, yeah, that so, yeah, man, jeez. Ben, I have to ask you: Have you been paying attention to the the NHL draft at all? And if so, what do you think would be some uh, good player? Like, do you have some oh, favorite players that the Blackhawks attend? Kind of question here because I have a, a question from. Uh, yeah. The only, it's the only question we had today. I put something up. Yeah. Um, it's actually uh, perfectly in relation to that. And oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. We'll just go into the Twitter questions because we're pushing an hour and a half. So, yeah. Well, unfortunately, good. it's the only one we have. Uh, but uh, it does have a second part to it. So. I have I have a couple questions, too. So don't oh, worry. yeah. You put those off after that for sure. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, this comes from... Uh, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm totally going to gut him on this. At uh, Sascrotch33, my buddy Ben. Uh, he asks, what are uh, Ben's thoughts, provided the Hawks pick at nine rather than one, 
on who they would target for their first round pick. So uh, there's a second part to it, but um, first off, yeah, who would you think they target at number nine if they end up there? I'm going to actually disappoint you guys in this question. I have not looked at the draft at all. Um, I'll get off. Oh, yeah, that's no worries. No worries. I, there's going to be I, – I don't expect them to make a super deep playoff run, so I'm expecting to have several weeks at least, um, maybe months, uh, in between their elimination from the playoffs and the draft taking place on October 9th or whatever it is. So I've saved my uh, content and looking ahead for that for that I'm time period. absolutely ashamed, Ben. We're all disappointed, of course. We, <laughs> we obviously value you very superficially, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> Sorry to uh, let you down. Oh, no, no worries, though, man. Uh, but the second part uh, was, um, and who does Ben feel will most likely be backing up Crawford next season? You kind of touched on this earlier, and who you think would, you know, who's the better of the two backups, but who do you think would be starting or backing up Crawford next season? Well, yeah, I said that I think that Subban would be favored over Delia to start in the playoffs, but I think it's close. Maybe it's like 60 40, and I would kind of flip it for next season. I would give, say, it's 60 40 oh. for Delia. For next year, just because he's under contract for yeah, two more years. Yeah, I was gonna years. say he has that contract. Yeah, yeah. and Subban yeah. is a free agent, and it didn't seem like, at least prior to the shutdown, that the Hawks were very interested in playing him or keeping him around. Yeah, um, that was interesting. So you... I think he was basically a throw-in in that Leonard trade. I was gonna uh, ask Vegas that. just yeah. wanted to give him somewhere to go. Yeah. But uh, so I think it would it's more likely to be Delia, but again, it's, it's pretty close between those two guys, which one it would end up being. Goalies are voodoo, so you never know. That's true. Yeah, it's very hard to predict. Well, uh, Pierce, you had a couple of questions. Yeah, so this is from our good friend uh, Wally. Um, he's actually one of the play or uh, people I get to write with. He does some awesome work. He's super smart about the game of hockey. And he has two, qu- two questions here. Uh, the first one being, if Connor Murphy isn't good to go, who gets that look with Calvin DeHaan? And... I think it has to be Carlson. Uh, yeah. I think we're gonna we'll we'll see Keith Boquist for sure, and we'll see Mata Cuckoo for sure. Both those are pretty cemented. Uh, and if Murphy's good to go, it'll probably be Murphy and DeHaan. Um, but uh, if Murphy can't play, you got to put in Carlson. He cemented himself as one of the top seven guys in training camp, and we talked about him earlier. He's uh, off to a good start to his NHL career. Um, I think having Murphy healthy would be a big help to the Hawks, but I would be kind of uh, excited if. Uh, he couldn't go to see how Carlson would do in that role. All right, and the second question is, if Drake Kajula or Slater and or Slater Cuckoo have an excellent playoffs, could the could the Blackhawks potentially price themselves out of the, like out of their range? Mm. Like, could that I don't cause know. problems for them? I don't know how much a big playoff run would increase their value. Um, mm. Those guys are both probably around the one to two million uh, range right now, and I mean, maybe a good playoffs could increase their value a little bit, but I don't know if they're high profile enough that it would really substantially uh, change anything. But it is going to be interesting to see how they navigate this cap situation. I don't think they're going to be able to re-sign everybody, even though I think both those guys are restricted. Um, Yes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works out once we get to October. I guess um, I I have a... Well, I wanted to... um, well, Spencer, if you have any questions, uh, Pierce, that'd be cool if Spencer could uh, kind of have the oh, floor. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure. No, you can go right now. I can oh, think of it. Okay. Um, oh, I had, yeah. Um, gosh, oh my God, I completely... Oh, yeah, so um, Ben, what do you think about the Hawks 
uh, with Dylan Strome because his name's come up a lot in trade rumors, being on the trade block, not being on the trade block. You know, what do you what do you think would happen from what you know, and maybe what if you were in their position, what would you do? Maybe that's a bad question to ask you. I'm not sure, but what are your thoughts on the whole thing? I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't thinking about him as being a trade candidate until uh, some of those rumors started popping up uh, in the spring. Uh, I see the argument uh, with Doc taking uh, another step forward. Uh, he and Taves are probably going to be the, the number one and two centers. Of course, you have to look at how long Taves can keep this up. Yeah. Um, and Strom has uh, really struggled when they tried to put him on the wing. Um, he's not aware. Yeah, he's. I feel like in general, oftentimes centers can transition to wing. Certainly better than a wing could transition to a center, but uh, it didn't really work for Strom. Yeah. So it is interesting <laughs> to see if maybe they don't want to have be paying so much for three centers like him once they have to give Doc his his next contract. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for now they have to keep him. Um, he's he's obviously got the chemistry with Debrinket. He's established himself as one of the better offensive players in the team. And um, I, I think he's still an important part of the team and his value in terms of trading might not be as high as he, he yes. matters to the team internally. Uh, but it's definitely interesting to see his name in trade discussions. And they're going to have to do something, as I mentioned, to uh, make the cap situation work and re-sign guys like Kubelik. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's, an, he's another restricted free agent. They have a lot of restricted free agents this year and they might not be able to keep all of them like they normally would so i have to i honestly completely agree i think well i think you know pierce and uh, spencer i think we kind of all agree on that regard that it's it's selling low and uh points wise he um granted in uh in arizona i almost said phoenix i'm still getting used to that years later um in arizona he um uh he started off very slow and he just shot at light speed when he got to the hawks um, but his point totals this year were on pace to match that next year of those combined uh, his combined season with those teams. Um, however, we I think we all know that he could play at a higher level. He was thrown a lot around, yeah, thrown around a lot in the wing, like you said. Personally, I he's one of those guys where I feel like he is a pure center. Like that is his position. Yeah. He can't play anywhere else, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I feel like he was misplayed. He was misused. He had some it seems that he had just a slow start in general. Um, I, personally, I feel like it would just be selling low like you had to do with Schmaltz. So you're just progressively going lower down that chain. Um, yeah, what do you, uh, uh, Pierce Spencer, what do you guys think about that? Um, so I'd love to keep Dylan Strom. Like I've been a huge Dylan Strom fan. And another player that I want to bring up is Brandon Saab. <laughs> what does... What, what did I know this hurts Jimmy because he's Saad is his favorite player, but uh, what do you think uh, is Brandon Saad's future? It's like a fourteen year old right now. When I first watched him, Jesus, yeah. It's, he's uh, makes, I would put him kind of the same. Oh man, <laughs> the same category as Strom. Um, he's a valuable player to this team, but they're going to have to get rid of someone valuable to make it work. Um, I think it's low odds. It's Saad. It's low odds. It's Strom. It's probably low odds. It's each individually player really? but one of them is going to have to be the one to go so really uh, low odds I, I really feel like sod has been the guy that is like for sure to go last little while i don't mean that it's i just mean that i think they're gonna have to get rid of someone but there's so many different options for who it might be that each individual player has relatively 
low odds, but one oh. of them is going to have to be the one. Um, oh, my bad, my bad. No, I probably worded that badly. But, yeah, I, it's, I, I thought Saad had a really good season. I think he could have had more points than he ended up with. Um, he went on kind of a, a run towards the end and sort of regressed back to where he should have been. But uh, he, he had so many breakaways, it seemed like, for a while there, and he couldn't score on any of them. A lot of posts, too, it seemed yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. And it so feels he might like... be selling a little low as well. Yeah, that's the that's the trouble is the guys that are very available to be traded are all either like they're either a guy like Kubalik that you're keeping as a young stud, and if it's not him, it's a guy like Dylan Strom or Brandon Side who are very valuable players but didn't you know points wise didn't produce the way yeah. that they you know they could have or should have or whatever you may whatever way you want to put it. I think Saad was very, like, he was probably the most reliable player all around. I'd say, I'd argue he, he was the most consistent forward in terms of, like, being uh, yeah. just, like, engaged out there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's hard to say that Kane wasn't the most consistent forward. Oh, yeah. Kane. yeah. Like, Kane certainly has his shortcomings on the defensive end. In terms of, <laughs> in all three zones, I think you can make the argument. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's what I meant, kind of just, like, being engaged and, like, playing in all three zones there. That's yeah. what I meant. <laughs> It's funny when we talk about it, it's like, I think in our heads, we almost go like Sands, Kane, and Taves, because those guys are just like, yeah. you know, they're, they're just always those top players, at least, you know, through through this season. But yeah. So, Taves was, was human this year. He struggled at the start. He got it back together for a while, but yeah. I don't think you can put him on the same tier as Kane at this point. Not right now, no. No. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, he's starting to get to that point. Yeah. I have to agree. All right. Well, uh, Spencer, do you have any uh, more questions? Um, I wanted to kind of get to Dominic Kubalik a little bit because yeah. um, obviously we saw how he was able to continue his pace throughout the season with his goal scoring and everything, uh, especially even strength too. He had some really good even strength numbers, uh, especially in that line with uh, Saad and Taze, two, good, two really good even strength and possession players in their own right. But I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on like if – Kubli can actually continue his pace now that he's on a new line with uh, Kajula and Doc. Um, how how might how that might be different from uh, and yeah, just kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be hard for him to replicate the exact same pace uh, with him not next to Taves. I think that that definitely helped him a lot, and Taves set him up for a good number of his goals. But from what we've seen from Doc, um, he's He's looking every bit uh, on the road to become a Taze kind of player in a few years. I, he really is that good. And we talked about Kajula could be a, an underrated player in the playoffs, too. So I think Kubalik will still remain an effective player. And uh, he's, he's so good at just getting open in dangerous areas and, and scoring goals when you maybe aren't expecting him to. Uh, that, that that transfers to any line mates. But I don't know if we can have the exact same expectations for him on this line as we did with, with Taves, but probably around the same. Yeah. God, saying if Doc can be anything close to Taves, then I will be a very, very happy fan. God, kid seems to be getting better every day. Yeah, maybe I'm overhyping him, but. But he looks I know it's no. He looks. I think he is. He can be that good. Like just looking at him out there, all the tools he has, like he definitely could be that good. And he's still getting better every day, like you said. I think he's more of a Shifley type. Like I mean, I think the level is of Taves. I think is 
possibly acquirable. Like you, like you said, Pierce, he has all the tools. Like he has everything there. He always has. Every GM knew that it was just oh, the consistency is that going to be there? And can he put yeah. it together all at the next level? Yeah, but he reminds I, me a lot of uh, Shifley, who I'm a huge fan. Yeah, of. like yeah, those big I've centers, heard. Shifley, Johansson, and then uh, Getzlaff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be any of those players. Like that's a that's a great pick. Right. Um. And Ben, do you you expect like uh, Corey Crawford? We we expect him to resign, but do you think he takes a pay cut from a from what he uh, from what it was before because he was making six million dollars? So do you think he takes less money just because he had that huge contract and he might take less term, just kind of like a Joe Thorn, just go year by year kind of thing? Yeah, I could see him taking a one year deal for sure. I don't know money wise. Uh, I think it's possible he takes a discount. Uh, I know I talked with him in January. Obviously, the circumstances have changed a lot for him and for the team since January. But uh, seemed at the time that he was—he didn't say explicitly, but uh, he was—he he implied that he wouldn't take a discount. Um, but I think maybe that's just sort of a negotiating tactic. Everyone probably would say that <laughs> yeah. if you ask them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I could see him taking a one-year deal and, and maybe a little bit uh, cheaper. But I don't think he would go to like a a $1 million or $2 million contract just to I was make work like, for the team. Yeah, I was thinking like $4 million, $3 million, yeah. kind of in between that, yeah. 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 Maybe five. I think five, five, six is maybe even takes the same amount, I could see, but that's just... Uh, yeah. He's I worth could see him doing one-year extensions at the same price. Until be, I think the Mahawks have a steal. The level he's playing at, at least, I think that would be Yeah, great. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our last question is from our good pal Schmidty. Um, do you oh, think boy. Uh, do you think a guy like Slater Cuckoo could get a look with Duncan Keith on the top pair at some point? He has shown that he has more than capable of playing the right side, and I think their play styles could gel well. Wow, a lot of Slater Cuckoo love in the fan base. I didn't yeah. know this. Um, <laughs> We've definitely warmed up to him. Yeah. I feel like normally on Twitter I would just see people ripping on him for mistakes. Um, His underlying stats are incredible. They are very good. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of was underappreciated. Um, yeah. His eye test has gotten a little bit better, too, especially at the end yeah, of the Yeah, he's definitely yeah. more confident yeah. in using the puck up the ice and yeah. all that. I just, I, my impression was that the fans didn't like him that much. So that's interesting to know. But uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think they want to keep Boquist there if possible. Uh, if that pairing's playing well and those guys are getting along well, it seems like they've developed a good, sort of interesting rapport. Um, Keith is always kind of making fun of him in a sort of loving way. Um, and Boquist can kind of return it too, despite his age difference. So, But uh, if they aren't playing well or if uh, Boquist gets hurt or they want to get him with a different look, maybe with Murphy, then yeah, we could see Cuckoo up there. Um, one, uh, one of my favorite things uh, from this uh, training camp was uh, I was watching Boquist, uh, the mic'd up section. <laughs> Oh yeah. He says to Keith, he goes, he's like, so on that play, do you want me to uh, you know go behind him and watch this guy? And Keith just goes, like, just play hockey, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> he goes, I like that. <laughs> well, Keith was saying that uh, he can't understand the drill instructions and that Boquist has to explain it to him a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, so that was a little bit of the context, I think, for that. That's just funny. play hockey quote, yeah. Just play hockey, that's awesome. All right, on the topic of... One last question, if it's okay. Very uh, niche sure. question. Where do you uh, find your advanced stats at? 
I like Ooh, natural yeah. stat trick the best. That's usually um, what I check too. It uh, probably Medical. doesn't have the best uh, appearance. <laughs> it's a little rudimentary, but uh, it gets the numbers uh, out there. So I, I find that one pretty effective. Uh, I use Hockey Reference a lot for Game Finder and everything. Uh, I know they just switched to a subscription format for that, so I think I'm going to have to start oh, thanking for that. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So, so those are the two sites uh, I usually use, yeah. You're a man of culture. <laughs> <laughs> we brought up Duncan Keith. What do you think about Duncan Keith's hair, Ben? It, it's impressive. He's really leaning into the Jesus comparison. <laughs> Seems like he's he's intentionally inspiring them at this point. But yeah, um, I guess that's the final. This is the final final question. Uh, yeah, do you think that uh, Duncan Keith is starting his own cult uh, during the off season <laughs> with those pictures? Because I, I, uh, I was I was raised Catholic, not anymore, but I was raised. So I know a crazy religion when I see one. I think that man's about to make one. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't have the inside info on that. I know he's just uh, he was hanging out in British Columbia, and he said he had a lot of time on his hands. So I guess that too much. Ended up being too much. Instagram time. Uh, he's a he's a strange guy. Um, but, uh, he's a good defenseman still, despite his age. So hard to complain. Yes. He he oh, yeah. he's a goalie playing defenseman is how I look at it personality wise. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a good description. And on the topic of style. Before we close things out, what did you think about uh, the Seattle team, their name and the uh, logo and all the jersey designs? I was ambivalent about the name. Uh, I think it's fine. Uh, I think it's a little odd. Um, I don't really like non-plural names. Um, so <laughs> I guess that was my one complaint. But uh, I thought the, the jersey design and the logos and everything were fantastic. And I think yeah. they did a really good job marketing themselves. Um, Man of culture. So they, I was impressed with how they handled it overall, and uh, it sounded like this is their jersey was the number one selling in all of sports the past week or something like that. I saw. Oh, so, like their uh, merchandise shot up. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job overall. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything, Spencer. Jimmy, do you guys have anything uh, else to ask? No, I just oh, yeah. rock, man. Holy shit. All right. So that was over an hour and a half. That's like a hundred <laughs> minutes now. Uh Ben, thank you so much for joining. You were a great guest. You're right up there with uh, Charlie Romeliotis <laughs> and Chris Peters. You're you'll be on our our Mount Rushmore of the <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciated all the questions and discussion. It was a good time. Yeah, it was nice to have you on that you dedicated all your, uh, like, uh, almost two hours to us, and it means a lot, and hopefully in the future we can have you on, and it's like, it's a weird time right now, but at the same time, we've got hockey back on, so that's exciting, like, I checked the NHL, I had, like, NHL notifications go off of work, I'm like, oh yeah, there's hockey today, and obviously the Blackhawks play the Blues later today, so it's gonna be interesting to see uh, how they play, if they play hard, or kind of take it easy before going in Edmonton. So uh, yeah, thank you for joining Ben, and uh, obviously thank you, James, uh, Jimmy, and uh, Spencer for being great co-hosts. And uh, yeah, hope everyone stays safe. I hope everyone's social distancing, washing their hands, and wearing masks. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and uh, peace, everyone. Goodbye. Stay safe, guys.